You're listening to the podcast of East River Park Christian Church. If you'd like to find out more information about the church or donate to this ministry, please visit us at eastriverpark.church. We pray that this is an encouragement to you as you grow in Christ through the local church. Brian, I know he knows. We've played together a lot. If you, if you want to know a fun fact about my life, if I'm not at home or work, you will most likely find me at ETSU playing nine holes of disc golf, or you'll find me at Wing Deer playing 18 holes. And if you don't exactly know what disc golf is, it's, it's kind of exactly what it sounds like. It is the premise of golf but instead you use plastic Frisbees to throw them into a chain link basket in as few throws as possible. Now with that set up, let's jump to last week. My wife and I, Mary Kendall, met my best friend and his dad and his wife at a course in Bristol called Sugar Hollow. Me and my friend Googe, we play all the time. We're super competitive. We know exactly how to talk just enough smack to get under each other's skin. However, I am a better disc golfer than he is, and that's not me being, I'm not trying to be prideful, it's just true, I've been playing a lot longer. But this day of all days, I was not having my best round. If there was a tree in the way, you can guarantee I would have gonna hit it. And I just want to let you guys know I'm not that angry of a person. I'm pretty chill. But today, hitting trees nonstop sent me into just a downward spiral. So we get to hole seven, my favorite hole. It's a, a pretty, pretty view. You throw it through this, this gap of trees into this huge field. And I know, I know I'm in a bad mood at this point. And so I, I take a deep breath. I get up on the tee pad, I build as much confidence as I can have, and I throw it, and it hits the tree 10 feet in front of me. And with that, I have reached my breaking point. In in intense anger, I turn around, I start shaking, and I just let out the most aggressive, wild scream I could muster. And I knew it wasn't the right thing to do, especially because we're playing with some good friends and I don't know his wife that well and I'm just worried that she's going to think I'm a psychopath. But my wife also knew that I should not have done this. And so as I I let out this scream, I walk back off the tee pad and Mary Kendall, she, she says, is that really necessary? And instantly in my anger, I'm like, I can't help it. I'm just angry. But knowing my wife and her infinite wisdom, she comes back with the words that we don't want to hear. You could have just taken a breath and prayed about it. Well, I didn't expect that. Man, she hits me right where it hurts. But she's right. One quick moment where I felt overwhelmed, and instead of taking a breath and saying a quick prayer, I acted out in childish anger. And when we left the course, I texted my friend and I was just like, hey, 
you know who I am. I'm very sorry that I got angry. I'm sorry I was childish. And I really hope that I haven't just like marred my image to how your wife sees me. But I still had to pray and ask for forgiveness in this moment. When we think of this, this little story, this, this small sin of anger that I have, isn't life just so riddled with these struggles every single day? Either we're struck with the decision to choose our flesh and act out in sinful nature or anger, or we choose Christ and we rely on the Holy Spirit to help us act out in truth and love. And so today we're going to look at a story in Psalm 51, and it's one of the most horrible acts that King David has done in his life. And so if you have your Bible, we're going to be in Psalm 51. We're going to read the whole chapter. Um, it should be on the back of the bulletin, and if you have a digital Bible, I'll be reading out of the ESV. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this time. I, I humbly just thank you for this, this ability today to become um, ordained in ministry. But we just pray that right now you keep me humble and you just speak through me um, as, as I bring the message. And just pray that someone here can come to know you, Lord. We pray for this in your name. Amen. So Psalm 51 says to the choir master, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. It says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth and in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God. O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise, for you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering." The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then will you delight in right sacrifices and burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. So I'll say again, it's an honor um, to bring this psalm specifically today because Psalm 51 is my favorite psalm. But to build context on where David is coming from for this huge lament and request for forgiveness, we have to look back to 2 Samuel 11. It says, In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, 
David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house, that he saw from the roof a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful, and David sent and inquired about the woman. And one said, Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? So David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her. And she had been purifying herself from her uncleanness. Then she returned to her house, and the woman conceived and sent and told David, I am pregnant. So we have two glaring problems in this passage. Problem number one, David has neglected to go to war when the time was that he was supposed to go to war. And then problem number two, he has stolen another man's wife, and not just any man, one of his own soldiers out sacrificing his life for David, and he has gotten her pregnant. And to go even further into this story, David has two choices. He's gotten this woman pregnant. So you can either realize he sinned and own up to his transgressions, or he can take the cowardly way out and dig deeper into this scandal. Well, David, he hatches, David hatches a plan to cover up getting Bathsheba pregnant. He sent the word to Joab, and he says, pull Uriah back from the war, and when he gets here, I will tell him to go and wash his feet. And all this is David hoping that Uriah will go back to his house wash his feet, and sleep with Bathsheba so that there will be no concern with whose child she's bearing. But instead, when Uriah comes back, he stays with the other servants, and he prepares to go back to war. He does not want to go live the life of pleasure while his comrades are out in a war. So he stays. So David still deciding to dig deeper into this scandal, decides to have Uriah killed at war. This is 2 Samuel 11, 14 and 15. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. In the letter he wrote, Set Uriah in the forefront of the hardest fighting and then draw back from him that he may be struck down and die. And so he sends a letter to Joab about Uriah, and he sends that letter through Uriah. And David's plan works. They're in the thick of the war. Uriah is put out front where the fighting is the toughest. They withdraw, and Uriah is killed. David's plan works, and now he gets to take his prize, Bathsheba, as his wife. In this story, you can see the clear blindness that David has from sin. And so God, in his just nature in this story, sends Nathan the prophet to David to confront him on his sin. And through this confrontation, goodness does happen. David realizes his sin, and he repents. And that's where we get Psalm 51. And so what, what can we learn from this, this psalm of lament and repentance that David sings? And so if you have your bulletin, 
Um, one quick thing that I need you to do, the thematic question, I need you to mark that out because I changed it last minute. And Marianne wasn't able to do it because she is literally printing bulletins when I asked her. So mark out your thematic question and instead write three steps to a clean heart. And that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at three steps we can take to a clean heart. And so let's go back to verse 3 in Psalm 51. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Second, that Nathan, the prophet, comes to David and calls him out on his sin. David realizes what he has done, and he acknowledges it. His response to Nathan is, I have sinned against the Lord. And that's where we get our first step. So step one to a clean heart. Acknowledge your sin. Step number one is always the hardest step. This step requires us to set our pride aside and humbly admit that we've done wrong and that we aren't perfect. And it can be even harder when we have to realize it through someone else. And even further, acknowledging our sin begins with a word from the Lord. So in this story, the word from the Lord came from Nathan. And today... We must be diligent to read and preach the Word because our, our sinful heart, where confrontation comes from, is the Holy Spirit a lot of the times. And that can be through just conviction, and it can be through others. <coughs> but before Nathan the prophet comes to David, we can clearly see that his heart was just dark after this. He had done a very heinous thing, It involved murder and adultery and neglecting what he was supposed to be doing. And his sin was obvious. He knew that he had sinned, but he didn't even repent right away. When we get to the punishment of of David, Bathsheba had already had this child. David lived with the sin for at least nine months and only came to repentance after Nathan called him out. And you might be thinking, well, I mean, I haven't cheated on my wife. I haven't murdered anybody. My heart's clean enough. But what do we, what do, we do about the sins that we might think are smaller or less important than that? Look at 1 John 1.8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. So even to say that my heart is good enough because I haven't done things that other people have done, then we're deceiving ourselves. And we need to repent and ask for a clean heart. And David David knew this truth so well. In 51, he says, I was brought forth in iniquity 
and in sin did my mother conceive me. From the very beginning of life, David realized that he was sinful. All of humanity is cursed from sin, even in birth. Our life is a constant process of needing our heart to be cleaned. And when we acknowledge our sin and repent, David says that not only God delights in it, but he teaches wisdom in the secret heart. God is faithful to forgive if we acknowledge our sin, and he will give us wisdom in that. So he acknowledges his sin, and he asks for cleansing from it. He says, purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I will be watered than snow. And in these days, hyssop was a, there was a process that was used to cleanse somebody. It would be a priest would bring hyssop to sprinkle blood and water from a sacrifice on them. And this would wash them. But today, our path to cleansing is not through a law or sacrifices. Today, our path to cleansing is through Jesus' death on the cross. And just like David acknowledged his sin and asked for forgiveness, we also must acknowledge our sin and ask for forgiveness. Because when we look at a life of not acknowledging our sin, it is a downward spiral. It is a dark path. And your heart gets harder and harder, and it gets darker and darker. And when there's no light anymore, you are just strangled by guilt, and you just spiral and spiral and spiral. Uh, there's, a, there's a very popular um, motivational speaker who motivates people through intense, ridiculous physical endurance. And now, I'm not going to mention his name because I don't really listen to him that often, and his, his speech is not, it's not really rated G. But one of the things he brags about often is he's ran like 2,000-mile races, he runs like 30 miles a day, and all this time he brags about having horrible knees, so he, he brags about running with pain every single day, and he had done this for years and years and years and years. And for years and years and years, he never actually addressed the problem. He knew that his knees were getting worse, but he never did anything about it. And so flash forward to when he actually decides to go to the doctor some 20 years after he knew that his knees were bad. The doctor says... Well, let's go in and clean these knees. And so in the surgery, the doctor goes to kind of clean up his meniscus, get all the, the stuff out of it. And his knee was so jacked up, it was so just hard from use that it was literally breaking the, the tools that the doctors were trying to use to clean his knee. And so there wasn't much... That could have been done. He knew that his knee was destroyed and there was nothing that they could do about it. And so he had to have a very, very long, strenuous knee surgery 
because he ignored the problem and he suffered. And our heart is the exact same way. If we let sin fester and fester and we never acknowledge the sin that is in our life, then gradually our heart will get harder and harder and our spirituality will start to dull until eventually we can't even discern right from wrong. We might not hear or feel conviction for things anymore. And Timothy warns against this in 1 Timothy. He says, Some people left the faith because their conscience was seared from their unrepentant sin. And so today I ask, is there unrepentant sin in your heart? Is there something that you have hidden from the light so long that has made your heart so hard that you don't even feel conviction for it anymore? Or maybe you've just sinned recently and you haven't repented of it yet. All it takes is an acknowledgement of that sin to God and to ask for forgiveness. So you acknowledge your sin and ask for forgiveness and God will forgive you. And that's step two. Receive forgiveness. When we acknowledge our sin and we repent and ask for forgiveness, God will give you forgiveness. Psalm 51, 8 through 12. David says, Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. So David repents of his sin and he is praying for restoration from the Lord. He wants to be back where he was. He knows that his, his sin is a painful thing. It's going to be a hard journey. But his restoration, he knows, is worth the pain and the scars that he has faced. I mean, he says, let the bones that you have broken rejoice. He accepts the punishment that God has given him. But he says, even let the bones that you've broken rejoice. There's repercussions to our sin. There's always repercussions. But there's always restoration if we ask. If we go back to 2 Samuel in the story that we were reading, Nathan calls David on his sin, and David repents. But it comes with a punishment. 2 Samuel 12, 13, David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. Nevertheless, because by this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord, the child who is born to you shall die. David was restored, but his sin led to a lifetime of consequences. And all of the punishments that he, he goes through in this moment, he, he has to deal with inner turmoil in his family. Nathan says the, the sword will never leave your house. And we see this through his son Absalom. He would be publicly shamed. All of his wives would be taken. And ultimately, his child would die. 
And I think, I think we need to not overlook something that, that can be taken out of context. When we look at the punishments that David goes through, we must approach the child's death with caution. Because when we read this, we would never want anyone to think that the loss of a child or maybe a miscarriage is due to an unrepentant sin. That's not the case. And when we read this, it can be really hard to justify the punishment that David received, specifically with his child's death. Because when we read that, we might just think, man, that is brutal. But we must remember that everything God does is good. And it is completely against God's nature to not do what is good. But still, the death of a child will never feel right. Yet because of God's nature, what happened to David and his child is right because it was ordained by God. And even though David was infinitely distraught, he still praises God and he still rejoices. And he can also rejoice because that child was immediately in the arms of God. And in Psalm 145, he says, The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. And so there is discipline, yet there is comfort. Because like a loving father who punishes his child, it is led in love. A good father will not let their child run rampant without discipline that has no fruit. If we look at Hebrews 12, 10 and 11, it says, For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. And so, another thing that David receives through his restoration is the joy of salvation and a willing spirit. David prays for the continual blessing from the Holy Spirit because he doesn't want to lose the blessing that he received, as Saul had. So he says, Lord... Renew my spirit. Re- renew my spirit. Let me feel joy again. Give me a spirit that is willing. And this is important because this shows that just simply asking for forgiveness is not enough. It is important to receive forgiveness, but we must let God restore our spirit. And when God restores our spirit, it leads to a life that has more joy, even in struggles. It leads to the power to not succumb to the the sins that we have given into already. And it leads to willingness for better ministry. When our spirit is restored, we will say, Lord, send me. And if David had not asked for a renewed spirit, there's a good chance that history could have repeated itself. And he would have suffered from the same sin again. But how often in our life do we ask for forgiveness for something 
then we turn around and we don't rely on the Spirit to keep us from repeating the same habit. And I think the biggest glaring thing that we can see in culture from this principle is the, the sexual pandemic. It is the biggest thing that culture deals with today. And if we never have the power of the Spirit, then we will never see true restoration. And David realizes this, and I feel like we often forget this. But Romans 8, 26-27 says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And so our number one ally for spiritual warfare is the Spirit. The Spirit convicts us, intercedes on our behalf, and strengthens us in our weakness. Without the Holy Spirit, there would be no repentant heart, there would be no fruit, and there would be no strength in our weakness. And so we acknowledge our sin. We ask for forgiveness. We receive for forgiveness. And then step three, we must proclaim righteousness. We must proclaim righteousness. Psalm 51, 13 through 17, Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God. O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. And so when we receive a repent sorry <clears throat> when we receive restoration when we receive forgiveness what comes after that is an outpouring of praise towards God David says Lord please restore me so that I can go forth and share your grace and mercy with others he doesn't just want to receive this restoration so he can go back and just keep this truth for himself. He, had a he has a desire to help others find this restoration as well. And so the reason we worship is because God has cleaned our hearts. He gave us a reason to live. He gave us hope. And in return, we worship. What's the first thing that we do when we come to church? We worship. We sing praise to God because of what He has done. We sing about who He is, His character, because that comes from an outpouring of love. And when we see what He's done for us, that truth should lead our lives. It should bring joy and our struggles, and we see that in the book of James. And it should lead us to a drive to share the gospel with every person we encounter. 
And the amazing truth that we see in Scripture is there is no person who cannot receive this salvation. This truth that David knew is worth sharing. David's life was filled with turmoil. God restored him. David would proclaim righteousness. And we see the blessing that comes forth from that, despite the punishment. Yes, the child died. But the successor to the throne was Solomon, a child of David and Bathsheba. God would choose David's lineage to bring Jesus, the promised Messiah, through. And so whatever you've done, you are never too far gone. God forgives all infinitely without compromising his just nature. So our main point for today, plain and simple, just like David said, repent and let God clean your heart. We skipped verses, well, verse 1 in these steps because we're going to circle back to it. David starts Psalm 51 with the answer to why he even thinks that he is able to ask for forgiveness. Because if it wasn't God and it was somebody else or something else, David probably would have been smited where he stood. But David says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. God's love is steadfast. It's unwavering. It doesn't change. And his love for his children never runs out because he is faithful. And his mercy is ever-knowing. I don't know how many of you have heard of this, but the Heidelberg Catechism is a series of 129 questions and answers that are designed to help instruct Christians in the doctrine of Reformed theology. Now, as a church, we ultimately hold to the Bible, but the catechisms are a great way to help guide us to certain truths. And here's what question 56 says. What believest thou concerning the forgiveness of sins? Answer. That God, for the sake of Christ's satisfaction, will no more remember my sins, neither my corrupt nature, against which I have to struggle all my life long, but will graciously impute to me the righteousness of Christ, that I may never be condemned before the tribunal of God. To that I would say amen. If we go back to my disc golf story, I could have easily ignored my wife when she called me out on my bout of anger. I could have brushed it off, 
I could have made a snark remark, and I could have continued to go about my day in unrepentant sin for my anger. But one small act of sin, one tiny bout of anger, one tiny lie, can lead to a great fire, as we saw with David. James 3, 5 says, So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. David's small spark, David's small sin, was staying back from the war when he should have been out with his people. So when there is a spark of sin, no matter how big or small, through Psalm 51, we must acknowledge our sin. We must ask for and receive forgiveness. And we must proclaim God's righteousness in our cleansing. If you have any questions about the message, prayer. Thank you.